Well, this morning, I want to talk to you. Today is Palm Sunday. How many know it was Palm Sunday today? How many didn't know it was Palm Sunday today? All right. (laughs) There's a few out there. Palm Sunday. Why do we celebrate Palm Sunday? Well, it starts with Matthew in verse 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage in the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Keep going. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered and said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come here this morning. Lord, to come and serve you, to come and hear a message, to come and use the message in our lives. Lord, I pray that the message this morning would just ignite the hearts of those who are here. Lord, it would ignite a fire in them that, that Lord, they would go out and leave this building and witness to their friends and loved ones. Lord, they would tell of your goodness and your grace. Lord, we thank you of how merciful and graceful you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we go back to the first scripture there, we go back to Matthew 21. And starting with verse 1, of course, they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mountain of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Why would he want to ride a donkey into town? How many have ever ridden on a donkey? Mike? When? Been a few years. If you've ever ridden a donkey, you know that sometimes they can be a little stubborn, a little bit, right? But if you're riding on a donkey, listen, this is fulfilling a prophecy. Jesus fulfilled prophecies. And when he rode in on the donkey, for somebody to ride in on a horse, was it could have been a warrior, it could have been a king, it could have been anything. For somebody to ride in on a donkey was a sign of peace. Did you know that? For somebody to ride into town on a donkey was a sign that they were peaceful. Now here's the interesting thing. The disciples went and they did exactly as Jesus told them to do. And when the large crowd got together, go to the next next scripture. The large crowd got together and they spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees. These trees were palm trees. And so they had palm branches. So we call it Palm Sunday because they took the palm branches and they laid them on the road for Jesus. That is why we call it Palm Sunday. I want to talk to you a little bit about this road Jesus traveled. The road that Jesus traveled, he met some people on this road. 
they said, this is Jesus from Nazareth. We know the story well. How many, how many don't know the story of Palm Sunday? That's okay. Palm Sunday is very simple. That this is the week. This is the week we celebrate. This is, this is the week that culminates in the death of our Christ. It culminates in our risen Savior. This is the week. This is the start of everything. The start of everything is he's, he's, he's riding into Jerusalem. And as he is, people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the king. Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Hosanna is used as an expression of adoration or praise or joy. It's, I saw, well, well I saw Doug one day. I saw Doug one day and I was so excited. I didn't say Hosanna. I said, hey, Doug, I'm excited to see you today. But if I saw Jesus coming down the road, not Doug. Sorry, Mike. I just can't get that excited about Doug as I do about Jesus. If I see Jesus on the road, it's Hosanna, Hosanna, hallelujah, hallelujah. Here's my king. Here's my everything. But this is not just the reason the people were shouting Hosanna. Why were they shouting Hosanna? It's important to understand why they were shouting Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Why? Why would they ask, who is this? They had heard rumblings. They had heard rumors of this, of this man who could heal people, who laid hands on people, who, who demons were cast out of people. He laid hands, he spoke, and demons left. He laid hands, and people were healed and delivered and set free. They had heard rumors. The city was stirred as this man rode this donkey peacefully into town. The city was stirred. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is what I find interesting. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. See, the crowds didn't quite get it yet. The crowds saw a prophet, but they didn't quite get it yet. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Of course, we, we go, and Matthew takes us there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all tell the story. It's of great importance. And they take us there to this time, this last week of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And a week it should be. Jesus seems to be doing exactly what the disciples expect him to do. Jesus seems to be doing exactly what the disciples expect him to do. He's riding triumphantly into Jerusalem. He's about to, he, he's the Messiah they're looking for. He's doing exactly what they're supposed to do. But you have to understand, why were they even there? In Jerusalem at this time was called the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover was to celebrate when the Jews escaped from Egypt. They passed over, the, 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 the Passover feast was to commemorate what happened with Moses and, and the Ten Commandments and all of that stuff. That all happened right around this time. And you have to understand that the Passover feast, when they talk about the Passover feast, you have to understand that there's a bit of controversy there. 
There is a subversive nature to it that they escaped from they escaped from Egypt. The Israelites were escaping from Egypt. They were able to get away from these taskmasters. And so the people of Israel, they were trying to do the very same thing. You have to understand back in that day, the, they were under Roman control. They were under Roman control. When they went to the market, they had Roman money. When they paid their taxes, they paid it to Caesar. They were under Roman control. And so when people talked about this Messiah, they weren't talking about a redeemer. They were talking about a warrior. They were talking about someone who would politically overthrow them, that would politically overthrow Rome, that that would bring an end to their suffering, that would bring an end to their taxes, that would bring an end to their trials. In prisons that day were several of those who attempted to overthrow the government. They attempted to overthrow the rule of Rome in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions. How many know there's people in jail who had tried to overthrow the government? One of those people was a guy named Barabbas. How many know the name Barabbas? He was a subversive. He would be a political terrorist or a domestic terrorist. You have to understand the Jews were not looking for a redeemer. Yes, they were looking for deliverance. They were looking for deliverance. I find this very interesting. That while they're looking for deliverance, this Jesus comes that they had heard so much about. They heard so much about him in the regions, in the area. They heard rumors from their friends and loved ones. You wouldn't believe what happens with this Jesus. And so the whole city is stirred. So when Jesus comes in, the one they'd heard so much about riding in on Passover week, the crowds are looking for somebody to rally around. The crowds are, they're looking for their hero. They're looking for the person that's finally going to set them free. And for him to come during Passover week, that just is all the more important now. It comes, he comes during this time when everybody is thinking about, remember when we were set free from Egypt? Remember when we were set free from our captors. Remember when those slave masters, when those taskmasters whipped us and beat us. Do you remember that? And do you remember the day that we got out? Do you remember the millions of people that left? And so this is what they're commemorating. This is what they're celebrating. And in the midst of the celebration, Jesus is coming into town. And so they see Jesus coming into town and automatically say, this is our next Passover. This is our next Passover. This is the Messiah is coming to free us, to deliver us, to set us free. Someone is going to carry the banner for us. They're going to liberate the Jewish people. But Jesus is not traveling the road to political revolution. Jesus is not traveling the road to political revolution. He is traveling the road to Calvary. Jesus is not coming in to overthrow the government. He is traveling the road to Calvary. Even the disciples don't really comprehend. Even the disciples don't really understand that he'd be riding in on a donkey, but he'd be put to death on a cross. 
He'd be riding in with triumphant Hosanna, hallelujah, hallelujah, the son of David, the son of God. He'd be, he'd be coming in with that. But pretty soon the crowds would turn from shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, we love you, hallelujah, to crucify him. Crucify him. Of course, the disciples, they don't understand this. Every time Jesus even mentions the possibility that he'll be mistreated, the disciples protest that, that why he, he shouldn't even speak of such a thing. He shouldn't even speak of such a thing. Each one vows and says, I will stay with you, Master. No matter what happens, I'm here. No matter what happens, I'm not leaving your side. No matter what happens, Master, no matter what trial comes against you, I will stick by you. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem that morning. The disciples are joyous. The crowd is energized. The shouts of Hosanna ring through the streets as he rides slowly and carefully through the crowds. The crowds that sing and shout and follow him, they are admirers. They are admirers. There was, Jesus had a lot of admirers. How many would be an admirer of Jesus? Raise your hand. How many admire him? But there's a difference between an admirer and a follower. There's a difference between someone who admires Jesus. I can admire what Jesus did, and I do. But there's many in the world that admire him as a prophet. They admire him as a peaceful man. They admire him as someone who caused a movement of peace in the world. They can admire him for, for what he went through. But they will not follow him. My question for you is simply this. Are you an admirer or a follower? Do you admire him or will you follow him? See, the admirers, they like that Jesus stands up to their political corrupt leaders. He likes that he's, he stood up to the religious figures of the day. They like that he seemed to be a man of the people. The admirers love that he eats with sinners and sits with prostitutes. You have to understand, the admirers looked and said, boy, this is a great man. He's doing some great things, tremendous things. I sure admire him. They were looking for a hero, and they see it in Jesus. The problem with admirers is they usually only see what they want in their hero. The problem with admirers is they only see what they want. They saw Jesus as the son of Joseph, not the son of God. They saw him as a revolutionary, not as a redeemer. They saw him as the true warrior, not a true messiah. You see, you have to understand that as he's coming in this road to Jerusalem, the crowds are shouting, and he has many admirers in there. They admired Jesus because he, they thought he was the answer to all their problems. He's the guy that's going to turn. He's going to. Can, can we relate to this in America today? Can we relate to this in America today? 
is there, is there somebody that just, we think they'll just come in and fix the problems. They'll come in and upheave, just totally upheave the political system. They'll, they'll, they'll get rid of corruption. They'll do all these different things. And, and I know in an election year, people like to talk about these things. But, but are we looking towards somebody just to admire or follow? We can relate to this in America. There's people that are angry in this country. And they're looking for somebody to just, just rise up and take over. This is the way the people of Jerusalem were. They were angry. I want you to get yourself in their mind place. I want you to get, get yourself where they are because they have been downtrodden upon. They've been put down as poor. They've been put down, again, as slaves. And, and now they get to this place where they are serving Rome. And they hear of the Messiah coming, and they think this is the guy that's going to upheave and turn everything. And so they look to him with admiration. Is the answer to all their problems. I want to read you a quick story. In the mid-1950s, there was a man named Clarence Jordan. He lived in a city called Americus, Georgia, and he opened a farm called Koinonia Farms. He founded, an, in the 1950s, he founded an interracial community that he thought was an authentic expression of the kingdom of God. For him, it was an experiment in both agriculture and the gospel in which white people and black people worked side by side, tilling the fields, harvesting their crops, and sharing their lives together. In the mid-1950s, this was a radical experiment, especially in Georgia. Of course, not everyone in southwest Georgia 60 years ago shared his vision. And soon, the farm attracted trouble. The farm was shot at by passing cars, Signs and buildings were vandalized, crosses were burned, and community members were beaten. Merchants refused to sell supplies to the farm, and eventually, legal troubles began to mount. Clarence Jordan approached his brother, Robert, a local attorney, for help with their legal issues. Robert was an up-and-coming young attorney with political ambitions of his own. He would later serve as a Georgia state senator and a justice of the Georgia State Supreme Court. Robert looked at Clarence, and Clarence said, I need your help. And Robert looked at him and said, I'm sorry, I cannot help you. When he declined to represent Koinonia Farms, he gave it with this explanation. Clarence, I can't do that. You know I have political aspirations. If I represented you, I might lose my job, my house, and everything I have. And Clarence responded, we might lose everything too, Bob. His brother responded, but it's different for you. Clarence looked at his brother and said, why is it different? I remember it seems to me that you and I joined the church the same Sunday as boys. I expect that when we came forward, the preacher asked me about the same question he did to ask you, and he asked me, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes. My, beer, my dear brother, what did you say? And his brother looked at him and said, I follow Jesus, Clarence, but only up to a point. And Clarence looked at his brother and said, could that point by any chance be the cross? His brother looked at him and said, that's right. I follow him to the cross, but not on the cross. 
I follow him to the cross, but I won't get on the cross. I'm not getting myself crucified. Clarence looked at his brother and said, then I don't believe you're a disciple. You're an admirer of Jesus, but not a disciple of his. I think you ought to go back to that church you belong to and tell them you're an admirer, but not a disciple. His brother looked at him and said, well, if everyone who felt like that did that, we wouldn't have a church, would we? His brother looked at him very carefully and said, there's a very simple question here. Then do you have a church? If everyone who felt like I do did that, we wouldn't have a church, would we? The question is very simple. Do you have a church? You see, we have a lot of admirers of Jesus this morning. We have a lot of admirers of Jesus. We, we, we admire what he did. We admire what he stood for. We admire the way he went about it. We admire the way he stood up to political leaders. We admire the way he stood up to the Pharisees. We admire the way he sat with sinners. We admire the way that he spoke, that he spoke to prostitutes. We admire the way that he got down and dirty with the poor and the struggling. We admire that. And there's some people this morning that will follow him to the cross. They'll follow him. Yes, Lord, I believe they'll follow him to the cross. But they would never get on the cross. It's no wonder by the end of this week, those who admire Jesus on Sunday were shouting crucify him on Friday. It's no wonder that by the end of this week, those who are shouting, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, we love you. With just, within just a short span, they're shouting, crucify him. This event, of course, I already spoke about this, is hugely important in the timeline of Jesus. And every gospel writer speaks about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have their accounts. I like the accounts. The, the different accounts give different perspectives. In Luke's account, it gives this perspective. Some of the Pharisees, this is, of course, after all this had happened, the crowds are saying this. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. We, we give praise to Jesus. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replies, as it says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If, if they be quiet, don't you understand that if they be quiet, if you don't praise him, the stones will cry out in their place. If you don't praise him, if you don't worship him, the stones will cry out. The Pharisees hear all the commotion and they quickly size up the situation. Jesus' followers are proclaiming him king. Jesus' followers are, are disrupting their society. 
Jesus' followers are disrupting their way of life. Jesus' followers are disrupting their leadership. Jesus' followers are disrupting them. And they say to Jesus, just stop this nonsense. You'll upset the Romans. And you're, listen, this is, this is what they're saying to him. You're no king. You're no Messiah. You're no king and you're no Messiah. And Jesus' reply is just so powerful in that if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out in our place. The opposition was determined to stop him. He had become become too popular. Jesus had become too charismatic, too much trouble for him to allow to to continue what he was saying. He picked up admirers on the road, but he also picked up opposition. It's it's no wonder he picked up opposition. Jesus was a pretty subversive guy for that day. Jesus went against the grain of the culture for that day. It's no, it's no, there's no trouble in understanding why he had some opposition. He was speaking out against the leadership of that day and the religious leaders of that day. He was doing things on the Sabbath that they said he wasn't supposed to be doing on that day. He was healing people on that day. He was healing people. He was touching people. He was changing lives. And the leadership saw it, and they didn't like it. He gained admirers on the road, and he gained opposition on that road. There have always been and always will be those who oppose the work of God, who reject the love of God, who will ridicule the Son of God. But knowing all of this, Jesus keeps going. John 3.16 says it very simply. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's probably the, the most recognized verse in the world. It's recognized everywhere. It's recognized at NFL games. It's recognized everywhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. The world includes those who don't love Jesus. The world includes those who oppose Jesus. They are the ones that he died for. They are the recipients of God's grace. Their sin is no worse than our own. Jesus said it best, the well have no need for a physician. I came to heal the sick, not to heal the well. Jesus came especially for those who opposed him, to those who belittled him, to those who ridiculed him. And that's what brings us to the end of the message today. On the road to Jerusalem, on this road that was paved with cloaks and palms, Jesus picked up admirers, the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus picked up opposition clearly wanting to destroy him. There's another aspect of the road that Jesus walked throughout this week. 
Because he didn't just pick up admirers and he didn't just pick up opposition. At some point, he picked up his cross. At some point in this road between Sunday and the crucifixion, he picks up the cross. And I know that on a day like today, and David, it's Palm Sunday. Can't, I mean, do we really have to go into the gory details of the cross? Do we really have to get into the dirty picture of what Jesus did for us? On this day, when we come together with, with family and we celebrate and we, we come together and... I know that's what some people will say. But we can't forget the imminent importance of this week. Next week, listen, next week Sunday, it's Easter. Next week Sunday, we celebrate our risen Savior. Next week Sunday, we celebrate our risen Lord. But this week Sunday, we understand what leads him to the cross. What led him to the cross is very simple. It's you and you and you and me and you. It's what leads him to the cross. We were separated from God because of our sin. And at some point, he picks up the cross. He did not come into Jerusalem to hear the crowd shouting, Hosanna. He did not come unaware of the opposition of his ministry. He did not come for the first part of the week. He came for the last part of the week. Do we understand why Jesus came into Jerusalem? He understood it. His disciples did not. Let us not forget through its streets, he was mocked and jeered. The road he walked was a road that did not end in the city. It did not end in Jer into Jerusalem. He, he walked through Jerusalem. It did not end there. No. He went on the other side through the city gates to a hill called Golgotha. He went to a hill called Golgotha. We call it Calvary. The place of the skull. Golgotha, the place of the skull. He knew very well where he was headed. But the disciples did not. It's on this road Jesus picks up the cross. You know, when we talk about the cross, we talk about this aspect of it. We usually we say it in a very passive way that, you know, Jesus was crucified. Or they crucified Jesus. And so many times in our Christian lives, we dismiss the great importance of this week. Jesus picked up his cross willingly, sacrificially, and obediently. He picked it up willingly sacrificially and obediently. Paul says it this way, that he became obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. Jesus said, I lay down my life and nobody takes it from me. And even though he struggled, even though he wept tears of sorrow like great drops of blood, Jesus still, at some point in this week, picks up the cross.
This was a road where people weren't shouting Hosanna anymore. This was a road where people weren't cheering him on anymore. This is a road where people were saying, crucify him. Let him bleed. Let him die. All of this is part of the rescue plan for your soul. All of this is done to rescue your soul. All of this is done. Next week we celebrate. Listen, I love the sermon. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Have you ever heard it? It's Friday. And everything looks dark, everything looks down, everything looks bleak. But don't be, don't be sad because it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. And so we'll talk next week, we'll, we will celebrate our risen Christ and Savior. But this week, I want you to have a hard look at yourself. This week, I want you to understand, am I an admirer of Jesus am I, or am I a follower of him? Am I an admirer of him or am I, am I a disciple of him? There's so many times in our Christian walk that, that we are admirers. Boy, I sure respect how Jesus went and, and ministered to those crowds. Boy, I sure respect how he went and, and got down with the dirty and the poor and the nasty. I really respect how he spoke up to those in authority and, and gave them the word of God. I really respect Jesus for what he did. But I could never do that. I really respect how he sat with prostitutes and, and ate with thieves. I, I really respect that he loved the poor and healed the sick, but I could never do that. I really respect how he walked the road to Calvary. I really respect how he picked up his cross, but I could never do that. I really admire him. But do you follow him this morning? You know, I love this church. There's so many amazing people in this church that love the Lord, that love the Lord, that, are, that have picked up their cross, that are following him, that are doing as the Lord commanded. They're, they're, they're following him. They're disciples of him. They, they, will, they will pick up the cross. They will be crucified with him. There are people in this church that love him. But there are others in this church sitting here this morning. There's others that are listening over podcast that have to ask the question to themselves, am I an admirer of Jesus or am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I an admirer of him? Or a disciple of him. Jesus embraced the cross. He picked up his cross. He gave his life so that we can live. It's because Jesus picked up the cross. The world has changed forever. Lives are made whole. The sin lost its effect. Lost its death grip on mankind. All because Jesus picks up the cross, is crucified, and three days later will rise again.
Let's put our heads down. Lord, we thank you this morning. We come before you this morning. Lord, we recognize the road to Calvary. We recognize the road to Golgotha. We recognize the road that it came through Jerusalem to Hosanna's and cheers and I love you's, but it ended in crucify him at the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Lord, there may be people here this morning that have no relationship with you. That have no relationship with you. That have never asked you into their hearts. They've never prayed what we call the sinner's prayer. They've never come to that place of praying, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me with your blood. There may be some here this morning that have never prayed that prayer. Or you may have prayed that prayer a long time ago. And this morning, you look deep within yourself and you say, you know, I'm an admirer of him. But I'm not always a follower. I admire him, but I I might follow him to the cross. But boy, I wouldn't be crucified on it. I might admire the way that he interacted with people and he, he laid hands on the sick and I might admire those things, but boy, I can't do those things. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor David, I've never prayed the sinner's prayer. I need to ask Jesus into my heart. I need salvation this morning. Or you're in the other camp. You say, Pastor David, I admire Jesus, but I have not been a follower of him. Pastor David, I admire him. I admire what he did at the cross. I admire all these different things. But I have not been a follower of him. If that's you this morning, just go ahead and slip your hand up. Just real quickly, you say, Pastor David, I need salvation. Or, Pastor David, I need to renew my relationship with him. One of the things that he did on the cross was shed his blood. He shed his blood for our healing, for our deliverance, to wash our sins away. As people go to their schools and jobs, they, they go to their loved ones and their families, Lord, that they would share of your goodness and your grace, of your mercy and your healing in their lives. Lord, as, as families gather together this next week, remember why we celebrate. Remember why we celebrate. That Remember. Lord, I pray over each person here that your Holy Spirit would just rest upon them. Lord, that you would bless them as they leave here, that you would keep them safe and healthy. Lord, we ask that you bless them. We ask that you keep them. We pray that your countenance would fall upon them. We pray that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen.